0: You cannot ignore the code and win the game. That's the message here. You cannot follow the path of wickedness and experience divine favor. That's just not how the world works. The world has been designed upon principles of wisdom. Therefore, find her and in her and through her and by her, you will find everything else.
1: Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. The world has been designed upon principles of wisdom, and therefore, there's a sort of cheat code that people can learn so as to live well, wisely, and long upon the earth. Taken too far, that could result in a sort of prosperity gospel. Obviously, the world is fallen, and obviously, some of these principles are going to be obscured and resisted by sin and injustice. But the code is is still there. The principles are still in place, and therefore all who want to live well in the world that God has created should be paying attention to the sorts of things being discussed in the book of Proverbs, and particularly here in Proverbs chapter 8. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet
0: If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Proverbs chapter 8. In a sense, this chapter is the perfect counterpart to the last chapter. The last chapter was about the seductions of the wicked woman. This chapter is about the appeal of woman wisdom. The father here is waxing poetic about the virtues and attributes of the one he hopes will be his son's true companion on the journey of life. The language here rises to impressive heights, and that has been the source of some controversy. Derek Kidner says helpfully here, The increasing boldness of the thought, culminating in verses 22 to 31, is not designed to preoccupy the reader with metaphysics, but to stir him to decision. I think that's well and helpfully said. We need to let poetry be poetry. When Psalm 98 says, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together, we're not to hear that in a literalistic way. We're not to expect watery hands to reach up in carved swells, to crash into each other as a form of praise, nor are we to expect the hills to literally come alive with the sound of music. Those are poetic expressions, and we're going to meet some poetic expressions in this chapter and we must read them and understand them as such. In the first three verses, the Father introduces woman wisdom, and then from verse 4 through to verse 36, we hear her appeal in her own voice. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates, in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. So unlike the wicked woman in chapter 7, woman wisdom lives in the light. She's not lurking down some back alley in the shadows. She's calling out loudly, publicly, In full view of all, there are six adverbial phrases in verses two to three. On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals. This is a poetic way of saying that wisdom makes its appeal everywhere. It is different in that sense from the Mosaic law, which was given to a particular people in a particular context. The cry of wisdom, on the other hand, is to the children of man. Verse four which is to say, wisdom is universal. Now, to say that wisdom is different than the Mosaic law is not to say that it is opposed or contrary to the Mosaic law. Far from it. In fact, almost as if that objection was anticipated, in the very next paragraph, woman wisdom makes the point that all of her precepts are compatible with all that is moral and upright. So while wisdom is not the same as law, the two are in perfect agreement. Verse 6. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. In this part of the speech, woman wisdom is commending her own counsel. She's very straightforward about that. Unlike the wicked woman in the last chapter, she's not trying to seduce. She's not covering a hook with beautiful bait. She is speaking in a very frank, straightforward, and honest manner. Listen to me, and you will hear truth. Heed my counsel, and you will prosper. My teaching is worth its weight in gold. That's basically what she's saying. In verse 9, the ESV translates the Hebrew word yeshar as right, and that certainly works. You could also use the word straight there or upright. The idea is that everything wisdom is saying is in bounds with respect to religion and law. To phrase it negatively, nothing that she says represents a transgression of the law. She is not crossing religious or moral lines. Rather, she's telling you how to live and prosper within them. Again, wisdom and law are not the same. The Mosaic law is about boundaries. Its function is to point and restrain. Wisdom is about flourishing in life and relationships. So it's about how to live well within the constraints and dictates of the law. These are Compatible disciplines. So to summarize this section and to cast it in a contemporary idiom, wisdom is saying, My teaching is kosher and my teaching is valuable, so you should consume as much of it as you are able. Verses 12 to 31 bring us into the main lesson. The Father has commended woman wisdom, woman wisdom has commended herself, and now with that double introduction having been made, wisdom begins to teach. She offers her lesson in two equal sections of ten verses each. The first of those sections begins at verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So in these opening verses of her speech, woman wisdom tells us where she may be found. In essence, she gives us coordinates. If you steer away from evil pride, arrogance, and perverted speech, and then if you triangulate prudence, knowledge, and discretion, you should have found me. That's basically what she's saying there. And when you find her, you will gain access to all that she has. We begin to hear about that in verse 14. I have counsel and sound wisdom, I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I've got everything you need to be successful in life, she says. Wisdom is the root principle that allows you to prosper in battle, politics, and leadership. Wisdom is about knowing what to do in critical situations. To quote Kenny Rogers, which I don't believe I've ever done before, to be successful in any venture, you've gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. That's the basic idea here. Wisdom is the principle that determines the outcome in all manner of human endeavors. It is math, it is logic, it is science, it is justice, it is skill. If you understand wisdom, then you're gonna be playing chess while everyone around you is playing checkers.
1: Pastor Paul, I do believe that is the first time you've ever cited Kenny Rogers on the program, so obviously we need to pause here and unpack that. Just don't ask me to sing it. Yeah, you gotta know when... To... No, <laughs> never mind. Now, I won't do that, but I, I do love, instead of following the gambler, this idea of wisdom as a sort of cheat code or root principle undergirding all of human life. Yeah, exactly. That's what wisdom is in the
0: Bible. Wisdom is about understanding how the world is wired and how to live well in light of that wiring. In essence, Proverbs tells us what is true in a general sense, as Bruce Walkey puts it, the sober, not the drunkard, the cool-tempered, not the hothead, and the diligent, not the sluggard, usually experience health and wealth, quote. All right, so even though the world has fallen, it is still ordered. There are still moral principles, natural laws, and divinely imposed limitations that we must recognize and understand in order to live well and wisely as contingent creatures. The world has been wired to reward certain things and to resist certain things. There's a sort of moral and spiritual physics that we want to be aware of. There's a certain fundamental order, and that fundamental order, even though it has been obscured by the fall, Is constantly reasserting itself. Wise
1: people know that and live accordingly. Okay, but unpack that for me a bit. You are saying that there is an order there, that the code is still functioning, but it has been affected or obscured in some sense by the fall. And that's why proverbs are best understood as principles and not promises, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. So take, for example, that well-known proverb, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's Proverbs 22.6. Okay, well, I think everyone knows that while that's generally true, it is not always and universally true. Sometimes parents do everything right, and, and still a child turns out warped, rebellious, and twisted. Why? Well, because of sin, obviously, right? We, we live in a fallen world, filled with enemies, deceivers, and destroyers. And so sometimes what should work doesn't work. But the principle remains true, that by and large, if you teach and train and coach and encourage and correct and equip a child in those first 12 years of life, then their outcomes over the next 70 or 80 years of life are going to be significantly higher. Good parenting is a blessing to children,
1: though not all children are going to be wise enough to take advantage of that. Okay, so not to put too fine a point on this, but living wisely isn't going to guarantee good outcomes in the realms of parenting, economics, relationships, etc., but it is going to make those outcomes more likely. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yes, I would agree with that, and then I'd go one step further. I would say that doing
0: things God's way is going to lead to generally better outcomes in the here and now, and great happiness and satisfaction ultimately in the world to come. There's a sense, too, in which doing the right thing even when it doesn't produce the desired result is in itself an act of faith.
1: It is a way of expressing belief in a God who sees, who judges, and who rewards. Mm, Yeah, that's well said. Let's jump back into the story now at verse 17. In verses 17 to 21, she begins to talk about all the various
0: ways... She rewards those who master her precepts. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. So here the idea is that wisdom rewards those who pursue her. If you love her, she will love you back. If you search for her and find her, then she will open up her treasure chest and lavish wealth, honor, righteousness, and blessing upon you. Where will you find her? Well, she walks in the way of righteousness and justice. So look for her there. Now remember, this is really Solomon talking through the literary device of personified wisdom. And this is what you might expect Solomon to say, given his own experience. God told Solomon that he could ask him for any gift back in 1 Kings 4. And Solomon asked for wisdom. But in receiving wisdom, he received riches, honor, and power alongside. There's a paradox here. If you pursue things like riches and honor and power, then your life will likely end in frustration. But if you pursue wisdom, then you will find wisdom because she's not hiding And with wisdom, you will receive riches, honor, and power. That's how God has designed the universe to work. In verses 22 to 31, we enter into the most controversial part of the poem. Though it is only controversial if you're asking more of this poem than it means to give you. If you read it as it is, then I don't think it's very controversial at all. In this part of the poem, Solomon is saying, in essence, that wisdom is the first principle of creation. It is baked into the cake, as it were. Everywhere you look, you're going to find her. For she was there in the mix when the whole thing was put together. We begin hearing about that now in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens I was there, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command." When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. So again, the main idea here is that wisdom is the first principle of creation. It is baked into the cake. It is the base code. God brought wisdom out from his tool belt and then, with that tool in hand, made everything else. The implication then is obvious, as Tremper Lungman III puts it. If one wants to know how the world works and therefore how to navigate life with its problems and pitfalls, then wisdom is the one to get to know. Who would know better how to act in the world than the one through whom it was made? Closed quote. Now, if that's all that you know about these 10 verses, then you know enough. The controversy has to do with how much further to press the language. There was a group of people in the third and fourth centuries who pressed the language and the metaphor too far. They said that since many of the things that are said about wisdom are said in the New Testament about Jesus, then Jesus must be woman wisdom. And since Woman wisdom was created at the beginning of the creation process, according to this chapter. Then Jesus was created. Ergo, Jesus can't be God. That was rightly declared a heresy. That is a classic example of pressing a metaphor further than it intends to go. Alan P. Ross is helpfully here. Many interpreters have equated wisdom in this chapter with Jesus Christ. The connection works, only insofar as Jesus reveals the nature of God the Father, including his wisdom, just as Proverbs presents the personification of this attribute, closed quote. I think that's exactly right. Listen, there can be no doubt that the New Testament makes comparisons between wisdom and Jesus, and Jesus himself makes those comparisons. So we need not shy away from them, but we need to understand that a comparison— is exactly that, a comparison. And generally speaking, when it comes to comparisons, the connections only go so far. You'll often hear people in biblical study circles saying that King David is like an arrow shot at the sun. He points us in the direction of Jesus before ultimately falling short. So Jesus and David may be usefully compared. But to affirm that comparison is not to say that Jesus was an adulterer, for example. That would be to take the metaphor too far. To compare Jesus to David is just to say that, like David, he defeats our enemies and brings us into the peace of God. To compare Jesus to David is to say that his rule brings peace, prosperity, and contentment to the people of God. Those are the sorts of comparisons we want to make. Those are the sorts of things that we can easily draw out. But obviously, there are aspects of David's life that have no counterpart in the life and ministry of Jesus. And to suggest any such counterpart would be inappropriate. So here... What is said about woman wisdom here anticipates in some ways what is said about Jesus, but that is all. The Tyndale Old Testament commentary threads the needle here saying, the New Testament shows by its allusions to this passage, and then in brackets it has Colossians 1, 15 to 17, Colossians 2, 3, Revelation 3, 14, close bracket. So the New Testament shows by its allusions to this passage that the personifying of wisdom, far from overshooting the literal truth, was a preparation for its full statement, since the agent of creation was no mere activity of God, but the Son, his eternal word, wisdom, and power. Closed quote. That is well and carefully said. Tremper Longman III provides an excellent summary as well, saying, This part of the poem is making the point that God created the cosmos by virtue of his age-old wisdom. The language about the creation of wisdom is a powerful metaphor, affirming that God's wisdom preceded every other thing. It is figurative language. Wisdom is not a separate personal entity, Close quote. All right, so having sorted through the controversy, let's go back one more time to the main idea. The main idea here is that wisdom is the first principle of creation. It is the base code. Therefore, if you want to be successful in life, you need to become familiar with her. If you know her, it's almost like having a cheat code for life. If you get how the world works, then you're going to be like Neo in the Matrix. You're going to be able to see what's coming. You're going to be able to anticipate challenges. You're going to be able to identify the path that leads through the obstacles and towards success. That's what the poem is saying. And of course... No one understood wisdom better than Jesus Christ. He was wisdom incarnate. He was the greater than Solomon. He was the one. In verses 32 to 36, we have the closing appeal. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, Waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Closed quote. The metaphor shifts a little bit at the end, and woman wisdom speaks of herself like a house containing all the things pertaining to life and favor. Wise are those who find the house and guard it. Foolish are those who wander away into peril and ruin. The stakes are infinitely high. Blessing and life on the one hand, injury and death on the other. You cannot ignore the code and win the game. That's the message here. You cannot follow the path of wickedness and experience divine favor. That's just not how the world works. The world has been designed upon principles of wisdom. Therefore, find her, and in her, and through her, and by her, you will find everything else. Thanks be to God.
1: Mm, Yes, you cannot ignore the code and win the game. I completely agree with that. But before we go... I want to come back to what you were saying there near the end of the program audio about the relationship between woman wisdom and Jesus Christ. I like what you said about being respectful of the literary genre here and not pressing the language too far. So woman wisdom is not Jesus Christ, or maybe better, Jesus Christ is not woman wisdom. Woman wisdom is a literary device, not a pre-incarnate representation of Jesus. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, but Jesus does describe himself as a greater than Solomon in Matthew twelve forty two. So he is perfectly wise, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and I love that phrase, by the way, a greater than
0: Solomon, because that's a great way of thinking about Jesus. He is the wisdom teacher par excellence. He doesn't say different things than Solomon. He says better things. In, in the same way that, that he so beautifully and authoritatively takes us into the very center of the Mosaic law in the Sermon on the Mount, So too, in his many parables and teachings, he takes us beautifully and powerfully into the very center of biblical wisdom. And that makes sense, right? Because he was there at the creation of the world. More than that, he was the agent of creation. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus understands how the world works better than anyone, and therefore his teaching can be trusted to produce a good, stable, healthy, joyful, abundant, and eternal
1: life thanks be to God. Mm, and the Apostle Paul calls Jesus the spirit or essence of wisdom, too, doesn't he? Yeah, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says that
0: God made him, Jesus, to be wisdom itself. So Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. He's the Word of God and the wisdom of God in the flesh. So when we look at him, we see a perfect example of how to live as a human being within the boundaries and according to the principles
1: that God, as our Creator, has established. Hmm. Freedom within form. Exactly that. So there is a sense, then, in which the book of Proverbs is probably even more useful to the Christian today than it was to the saints living in Old Testament times. We have wisdom illustrated in the person and work of Christ. Yeah, and not only that, we have the help of the Holy Spirit of Christ living inside us,
0: inclining us in the direction of wisdom and truth. Like that lane keep assist. Yeah, And so with Jesus leading, teaching, illuminating, and illustrating, and the Holy Spirit empowering, correcting, and encouraging, we can live this out to a degree that our Old Testament brothers and sisters couldn't ever hope to do.
1: This is something we can do by the grace that he supplies. Thanks be to God. Amen to that. Well, that's all the time we have for today. As always, friends, If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.